0: It's Michael Tidwell, Paul, uh, my last name is pronounced sports, and Michael B. Casey, Stop. block time.
1: All right, it's block time, and this is Michael Tidwell, and this is Michael B. Casey, and with us, as always, is Paul Stortz. I wanted him to introduce himself. Paul, he always forgets. Paul, is your mic yes. off?
2: <laughs> yes, is it on? Hello. <laughs>
1: Yes, okay. this, sh-
2: this show is uh, <laughs> officially endorsed by uh, Roger Vera and Andreas Antonopoulos. That's the point of the intro.
1: Yeah, and it is and uh oh that's a that's a good point. <laughs> we we have we have uh both Roger Veer yeah. and, and Andreas So the guy the man we have today with us, Peter Todd. Thank you so much for coming on block time, Peter. Thanks for having me on. So how I want to do this, Paul uh you're gone a little bit earlier but let's go ahead and interview Peter Todd let's get to know like what he's doing who he is what his project is uh with OTS and everything else he's been doing and then let's jump into the episode uh and then talk about like current news and stuff so let's start off with uh intro Peter give us a skinny on yourself who is Peter Todd
3: I'm some uh, dude who uh Way back in high school, uh, had a summer job as a Perl programmer, and uh, that terrified me so much I quit uh, programming to go off to ceramics. And then somehow, after all that, I got back. So I, I guess that pretty much sums it up.
2: So He's there and back again, the story by Peter Todd. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so 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 t- talk about your your. Um... Your dive into Bitcoin and blockchain technology and yeah, wh- wh- what
3: got you involved?
1: Where did you first see it?
3: Well, uh, I mean, again, way back in uh, high school, uh, I was um, playing around with the FreeNet project, um, which is yeah. you know this data publication, um, highly censorship-resistant data publication system, and I thought it was really <laughs> cool and stuff. And my uh, dad being an economist, I kind of followed in his footsteps. Thought you know, it would be really cool to add to anonymous data publishing. Why not some electronic money? And I uh, did a whole bunch of thinking on that project, and I realized it's actually really hard. And uh, long story short, that was kind of my first interest in, uh, well, what would eventually become Bitcoin. So when I actually saw it, you know, many years later, my first reaction was, shit, I should have thought of that. You know, and from there, I just started doing research and understanding the code better and got a Twitter account and, you know, this, that, and the other. And I went up quitting my day job to, you know, work on this stuff full time as a consultant.
1: What'd you do as a, for your day job before you kind of went into, what do you call it? Bitcoin consulting, blockchain consulting?
3: Yeah. What'd you do well, a, for your actually, day job? I was actually an um, analog electronics designer at a geophysics startup. They we were trying to make a new type of uh, uh, gravity sensor.
1: Cool. That sounds cool. So what's... What's your did you did you uh go to university or did you just go straight from like high school to
3: working or yeah no i um i actually went through uh art school so um ceramics well I, I wound up getting something called uh first industrial design and later something called integrated media which long story short is i made a whole bunch of electronics and computer stuff and uh you know from that i wound up getting that uh job in electronics so so you said it was, a, it was an art
0: degree. Well, what what kind of art specifically?
3: I mean, they kind of call it's integrated media, which, mm-hmm. in my particular case, was you know art made with electronics uh, mainly. Cool. So, but, so um, did you
0: do like signage and shit, like weird, funky stuff,
1: or?
3: Yeah, like one of my pieces is literally called "64 Bit Counter" because it's a 64 bit counter, with uh, displays the amount it's counted on. Uh, Big LED thing, and uh, the somewhat creepy thing about it is you can actually see the computer count, you know, counting. Or to be exact, you see a, a blur of nothingness, which has roughly the same time span as your entire life. Wow, okay. that's my uh, artist statement. Uh, very formal. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, so mean, how, man. so how are you so popular?
1: I, I, I'm on your Twitter. You got like 34, 35,000 Twitter followers. What is it that makes you so popular, Peter? Why do people follow you and I, I hear a lot of people reference you and all this stuff what's what's the secret sauce because obviously we don't have it Mike casey and i
3: you know i think a lot of it is just being able to explain uh you know technical concepts to non-technical people you know particularly from art school i had a ton of experience doing that plus you know i also did a bit of computer science and physics so you know i've got enough of a actual background to back it up but i think the big thing was just you know, learning how to explain this stuff and how to talk to people. Uh,
1: if, if you don't mind, how uh, can you talk about some of your first uh, consulting opportunities and uh, what that looks like? Because you're, you're, uh, what year was it? And was that kind of just being forged as like a Bitcoin or blockchain consultant? And would you consider yourself one when you started doing it?
3: Well, um, when I started, that would have been... I guess put the day job in 2014, um, like early 2014. And my first kind of intro into it was uh, I'd gone and uh, wrote up a rather scathing report on why I didn't think MasterCoin would work. And the people behind MasterCoin responded by uh, hiring me as their uh, chief scientist to go and figure <laughs> out how to make it better.
2: Come on, Mike. You know.
0: <laughs> so, um, yeah, what other projects have you worked on? Uh, besides Mastercoin, were, were, you were involved in uh, uh, Vertcoin? Was it or was that one of them?
3: No, not Vertcoin. Um, I, I also did some consulting work for Counterparty. Um, uh-huh. You know, analyzing their stuff uh, prior to me quitting the day job. I did uh, you know some uh, security analysis for uh, Litecoin. Uh, you know, verifying their uh, you know their uh, um, rebase to Bitcoin Core. Um, so this, yeah, yeah this like was that.
0: after, yeah, when they when they did their upgrade after they languished for the number of years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah.
3: you know, and more lately, like uh, working actively on stuff like open timestamps and proof chains.
1: Yeah, definitely.
3: We're going to be talking about. Oh, also, also, project. you
0: were the progenitor of the tree chains concept, correct? Yep. Can we can we talk Which, about what uh, is that? No, well, sure. Let yeah. Peter talk. About. <laughs> I was going to explain it, but no. You yeah, explain yeah, yeah. It.
1: <laughs>
3: let, let, let Peter talk about it, because he did it, right? Yeah, it's okay. his, his theme. Well, I, I think in summary, the highest level way I can go put it is it comes from a realization that you can go shard consensus much more easily if you don't require everyone participating in consensus to validate everyone each other's work. And then the... The flip side of that is the tree chain idea. Then is reliant on client side validation, where you know the, the user who's actually say verify, you know, accepting money in the system, they have to verify the transactions themselves.
1: Okay, so it's it, yeah. you're 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 offloading the burden on the client side versus the main network for, uh, for processing uh, for validation, right?
3: Exactly. Yeah. It, and you know the high a high level concept behind that is the person who cares whether or not their money is real is the person receiving it. See that that, you
2: know, that reminds
0: it, me a little bit also. Mimblewimble acts the same way, right? Because you know it's not actually in the blockchain. It, it's it's by yes, yeah.
3: Although it uses um, clever math tricks to still do full validation for everyone. Ah, okay, so what's... You know, it's more that the data storage side of Mimblewimble gets to play that trick
1: so so what is a use case or whatever of tree chains or whatever like is that happening somewhere yeah. it's
3: sharding oh. isn't it so so you can it, it needs a ton of um, work to actually make it happen but you know the use case that was in, envisioned for it and I hope to one day uh, actually implement is essentially you know electronic money so I it's mean,
1: a better version of I, I don't get it is this is this going to be he's... like a competing idea with Bitcoin or is this going to be like a He's asking what, what feature Bitcoin. set,
0: yeah, so an upgrade. He's asking what feature set does it add to Bitcoin?
3: Well, scalability. I mean, at a quite direct level. So what's so? Hey, Paul, are
1: you are you listening? You, you've been quiet. I am. I'm listening. Yes. Okay. So so what's what's better, tree chains or drive chains?
2: <laughs> uh, well, you know, actually, it's funny. I think all the, um, uh, the all the there's like a big overlap with this the. the, the The sharding concept, which is that you know, it is really hard to have everyone validate everything. So what if we just don't do that? Um, So that's uh, so that's an area of overlap, and uh, I'm not sure. You know, Peter and I actually discussed this at the at Scaling Milan, and I remember being confused about uh, about like you know they're they're really they're very similar, and I'm not even sure where even the differences are because if you want. To have a scheme that has transaction fees that are paid in Bitcoin, or that the miners, you know, because as Peter says, the only person who really cares is the person who's getting paid. They want to know the state of the money. But if miners are getting transaction fees, and they're the ones getting paid. And I was not clear to me uh, at the time, having not really looked into it very much, but it was not really clear to me, like if you would still be proving all this stuff to the same set of miners anyway, and so it would end up being. Pretty, it would end up. The ultimate consequence would end up being similar to kind of a drive chain, a side chain kind of scaling idea.
3: Well, I mean, I think the the key insight there is that you can have systems where I may pay you with funds that aren't actually used to go and get the transaction line. You know, the funds used get the transaction mined, they can be chosen in such a way that there's less data that I need to actually prove to the miners to convince them that those funds are real. Now, whether or not this can actually be done, I mean, like I say, it's, you know, halfway to vaporware. I mean, it, there's a ton of other work that needs to be done to make this idea, you know, even you know, get off the ground. But that's your very like, high level concept there. You know, that's why I think it's plausible that one day I can make this work
1: okay so it's it's something interesting maybe you know a couple years down the road or something that this will be a thing or sooner but uh it's kind of like drive chains it's like one of those things that are nice to have but we'll never get right paul
2: (laughs) well yeah but see i so (laughs) peter Todd's is like just kidding so mine is like mine is like halfway to production so it's Uh, halfway away from vaporware oh no you know you know i'm kidding paul or at least I hope I'm is kidding. Is the glass half full of vaporware or, <laughs> or is it half full of liquidware? Is it half full of liquid thermite? <laughs> Poor, uh,
1: Yeah. Rest in peace, Samson Mao. Yeah.
2: Well, I'm going to bring him back.
3: All right. So... Uh, oh, Peter is going to say something. Oh, uh, Yeah, uh, go for it, Peter. The, the interesting thing about the ideas behind tree chains is that in a centralized environment where all you're trying to do is just, you know, make a centralized blockchain scale better. They're actually relatively easy to implement, you know, and I mean, that's what I was working on, um, uh, you know, at R3. I was supposed to be, uh, you know, making that actually happen. And as far as I know, Corda is still going along that path. Interesting. So so they're starting
2: all the good ideas from Peter Todd. Well, I mean, how does this uh, (laughs) – hey, Peter, can you –
1: I mean, if you're going to go to a centralized system and do sharding, can you explain how this is different than maybe normal – I don't know. I mean, I know that you said this is specifically about consensus or whatever, but uh, how is this – I mean, if you have different shards and you have different people who don't care about what's going on, they only care about what's going on the relevant shard or data or whatever that they need, how is this different than any other kind of distributed kind of sharding system? Or is it? Is it just a better version or –
3: Well, well, the interesting thing is, you, you know, I don't think you actually necessarily need consensus. You know, my argument for this is actually quite simple, which is that, you know, if you have a transaction history, right, and I can show to you that there's some history associated with some coin, you know, showing it move from the Genesis block, you know, when it was created off to you. What you care about is does there exist an alternate history? Because that's you know ultimately the thing that prevents inflation, ensures that you're actually um, getting you know real coin, and every step of that process, all you have to do is prevent that action from being taken twice. You know, and I've kind of modeled this as something I call a single UCL, seal, which is that if you imagine we had some magical cryptographic structure, you know cryptographic um, um, gadget, if you will, that had the ability that it could only be triggered once, you know, it could only be sealed around something once. That would be sufficient to prevent double spends. Of course, you know, the hard part is actually making that gadget. But if you do have that, it's easy to imagine how, you know, these systems can work and also how they can go scale because my coins, you know, and your coins don't need to share any of that state. You know, you can do a transaction, closing seals on your transaction, you know, outputs. And I don't need to know about that. You know, we know in a trusted environment we can implement this with, well, trusted authorities that go sign messages, you know, signifying single-use seals are closed. So obviously we can make this scale in the real world. Yeah, tr- tr- with
0: trusted entities, it's easy. But I mean, yeah. so so, but I think the purpose of consensus is even if you're only looking at one one particular path of one particular set of outputs or whatever, um, you know, there, there has to be consensus to verify that that is the only or the accepted path, right? Cause otherwise there could be an unknown path to you
3: that uh, could later pop up, right? Well, well, point is we don't need global consensus
0: for that.
3: Okay. No, we global consensus on, consensus on everything.
0: Okay.
1: Is, is consensus, would you say, would you say consensus is needed or not needed for distributed systems? Well, in my general. point is
3: that in this case, you only need local consensus, not global. Right? In the sense that you only need consensus around a particular transaction, you know, around, you know, okay, okay. When you, when it you say, care about it.
0: when you say local, you're talking about you only need consensus about uh, a, a, a subset of the total number of the entire ledger. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I okay,
3: mean, In a way, that's still global consensus. But right. It's global, global consensus. amongst
0: all users if it, if they were looking at it, but
3: you only care about what you're looking at, right? Is that what you're exactly, saying? Exactly, yeah. Okay. So, so, so in reality, you end up with global consensus, but you achieve it through a system that doesn't have global shared state. So it's like sharded, threaded global consensus,
0: right? Multi-threaded global consensus, yeah. I guess. I, I mean,
3: I, I here's an analogy. Like currently, we have global consensus on the location of every gold bar in the world but that consensus is enforced by physics yeah you know it's not enforced by computers it's just it just okay. is and i don't know the location of those gold bars but those gold bars still don't move no well, that's a good good
0: analogy okay i see what you're saying so so nobody has to know the state of everything but the state of everything yeah. can be known by you know everybody just because it is enforced by the rules of the system yeah interesting yeah well yeah i mean that, that's one of the fundamental you know inefficiencies of bitcoin is the ledger is held in in its entirety by everybody and you know you're you're, you're exactly right and, you know nobody cares about anything that doesn't impact them except maybe people who are trying to mine data <laughs> you know yeah. that, that's about it which you know is exactly what we don't want but <laughs> at least me it,
3: uh-huh. it, it's unfortunate that you know we happen to need this um, for technical reasons but you know, in the ideal world, you're absolutely right. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have this.
0: Right, it's a drawback, but I mean, it's the only way currently to make it technically feasible. So,
1: yeah. yeah. So, so you're talking about some of your, you, you kind of talked about what you're doing at R three. How long did you work there? And then talk a little bit about a little bit more about what you did at R three. Why you left, and like maybe like what they were doing. Because I know they they kind of pivoted, saying that they're going. To use like blockchain technology then they're just like blockchain inspired maybe you can talk a little bit about that i don't know how much you can talk about but maybe i think you said you could talk a little bit about it
3: yeah well i mean i think what i can say is that um you know when i started r3 i was doing um you know an analysis um you know and that wasn't full-time i was i was a consultant getting hired to you know analyze different consensus systems around the world and uh, You know, I think they had an idea that they would buy, acquire, whatever, you know, some of these systems. And, of course, very famously, I did an analysis on Ripple. (laughs) I remember that, actually. That was good. Yeah, well, you know, that was a very interesting uh, paper because, in a sense, it was so easy. All I had to do was accept that what they said about their consensus system was 100% true and then attack the assumptions it made. You know, and I think many of the critics of that paper don't really understand what I did there.
1: Okay, let's see.
3: I've
0: I've never been a huge fan of Ripple. So
1: so so you're you're a big time Ripple lover, right, Peter?
3: <laughs> yeah, I think we can do better systems. And of course, you know, obviously, R3 thought that too, given that uh, you know, then the idea was I was, was going to go work full time on applying the you know proof chain technology that I'd already been working on, as you know, R3 is what what's now called R3 Corda. You know, so yeah, the actual like basis of R three Corda, you know, and, you know, I, th- I think it's fair to say it was kind of reinvented multiple times. But essentially, you know, I and you know the other architects at uh, R three, we sat down in meetings, said, "All right, you know, how are we going to do this?" We all had roughly the same idea. You know, in my case, I, uh, I even went as far as to you know get a contract to go and sell them rights to you know, Proof Chain so that they would incorporate it into Corda. Uh, as far I, as
1: the objectives of R3 or R3 Corda, it was tr- to pretty much connect a bunch of banks together in like a common ledger, though, right? Ultimately,
3: well, that's the thing—not necessarily common, right? You okay. know, and you can see this from like R3's um, discussions um, these days, where it's always talking about how. The ledger isn't necessarily shared among all day.
0: Yeah, see, I haven't been following uh, the R3 saga, but I mean, last last that I heard is it kind of a little bit fell apart because they realized that nobody wanted to share the data amongst <laughs> themselves because it oh, was oh, all proprietary.
3: Oh, no, I, don't, I don't think that's the case at all,
0: actually. Okay, oh. so what's the
1: current status? Like I said, I haven't been keeping up. Well, hold on. Let me answer your first question of why. Mm-hmm. It, why,
3: Yeah. Well, so, so actually, I would say that right from the get-go, you know, we worked very hard to ensure that no, we didn't need to have everyone in the world sharing their same ledger. You know, it was one of my criticisms of Ripple as an example. You know, proof change is designed to not require that. And I, I think the real thing that happened at R3 was, you know, essentially, I mean, my contract that I signed with them it had an open source provision in it. So you know, the work I would be doing would be open source. And I suspect they, you know, realized that this wouldn't you know, or at least pivoted their business plan so that they didn't want to do open source and they want to keep the software proprietary. And of course, the banks probably took one look at that and thought, you know, this is bullshit.
1: Yeah. So in other words, yes. is that the reason why you left or they, they said, hey, we can't do this anymore with you or what?
3: No, they went and uh, fired me. Or to be exact, uh, legally speaking, they canceled my contract. And the claimed reason for that was that I'd gone and tweeted, let I get the wording right. Yeah, so, so my current had posted yeah, I remember something the dust arguing up that you and her. tail yeah. recursion was just an optimization. Wait, wait, say that again? You know, that tail recursion was just an optimization. Okay, and I don't really know what that His was that uh, without tail recursion, say a system might, you know, recurse and use up, say, you know, 60 megs of memory. But then with the tail recursion, it can recurse even deeper. So it's you know an optimization that reduces memory usage.
1: Cool. All right. So keep going.
3: So, and remember, at the time that was when Mike Hearn was arguing very strongly that we should all move to Bitcoin XT. You know, with him as the leader of that. Yeah, I remember with Gavin. My, yeah,
1: it was Gavin and and Hearn who who were kind of the two people, but Hearn a little bit stronger, I think.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. it was right around that time, you know, very very political for Bitcoin. So I went and found this quote and went and uh, you know, got a screenshot of it and tweeted. The fact that Mike Hearn thinks tail recursion is just an optimization explains a lot of us thinking regarding scaling Bitcoin. And I mean after all, like Mike Hearn's approach to it was to throw more computing power at the problem. I mean it's actually, you know, it's quite a valid observation. fits right in. And uh you know, when when they heard this they uh had a big huff saying, you know, it's all unprofessional and so on and you know, this, they needed to. Uh,
0: I think this is the quintessence of the block size debate right here. <laughs> is right. I mean, honestly, I think it is because one side believes in only optimization, and the other side believes in
1: hey, just brute force. I mean, I would definitely <laughs> say Luke Dash Junior, Eric Lombroso, uh, Greg Maxwell are optimization first kind of people.
3: Well, I mean, even more than optimization, I'd say it's just. I think they accept that. You know, there's limitations to what you can ask people to run. You know, I, I think Mike Hearn is a very different security model for Bitcoin than uh, you know the rest of the developers so do.
1: So I haven't heard anything about Mike Hearn in years,
3: or well, like I mean, at he least a year. That at the entire project, did, did, but I mean, is he, was is he on, still he was,
0: with R3? He no, I don't think he is anymore, right? I don't know. Um, is he? So, no, um, no, no. I, uh, I remember. As far as I
3: know, Mike Hearn still is he? R3. I, thought, yeah, yeah, I, 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 heard, I remember it. a release and it's like quite a year ironic ago. actually, because as far as I know, he's continued on my proof chains work which basically is, uh, I think, a very sane approach to scaling things. So it went from someone who had quite crazy ideas about scaling to actually doing some research I was intending to do.
1: So, So Mike Hearn is like this guy who dropped off the face of the earth who is still where we left them at R three? Isn't that crazy? Well, the last last I heard I, of him, he you know he, he published Corda.
0: He like published it and says, okay, it's out and throw it out in the world. That was the last major post I saw out of him.
3: You, you got to understand, R three um, after that instituted a social media policy, to prevent people from uh, talking outside of R three channels. Oh man! So although so, I think I think you're right that we didn't we haven't heard a lot about from
2: uh, from anyone from R three, but I thought. Mike Hearn did, didn't? Because with the recent, he published Satoshi's emails or something. And then I thought I saw him on RBTC, and I was like, "This is weird." But well, that was like in the last month or something. Yeah, I didn't see. him. Yeah, well, I didn't notice yeah, him. He's
3: still around. Like he's given public presentations on Corda, you know. So you know, I I, I think this is just that R three. I I think realized that. Well, I mean, after all, Mike Hearn. Like for them to say that I was being unprofessional there. I mean, Mike Hearn was calling me a toxic individual who was terrible for Bitcoin, et cetera, et cetera. And R- R- R3 never actually paid me. So there was potential lawsuits there. Yeah, but they still owe me about $15,000. So, Peter, I, I like. What did you your...
1: price that in Bitcoin? Because now it's worth <laughs> a lot more. <laughs> yeah. I have a question, Peter. So
0: how would you compare and contrast R3's approach for their Corda platform versus stuff that's being done with IBM and Linux's Hyperledger initiative and that stuff? How, how different is R3 from that? Style of uh, permission ledger blockchain?
3: You know, it's not totally clear to me because, you know, like a lot of the R3 um, terminology and whatnot is, you know, is being changed from, you know, when I was there and so on. You know, and I haven't bothered, you know, really looking in depth at, the, at how the software really works. But I, I think the main thing is just, you know, the R3 approach, to the extent, you know, it has kind of followed what I was working on, is more modular. It's more based around. Um, more granular types of consensus, but I should be careful what I say because I haven't like looked at you know Hyperledger that closely since. You're, it, you're well, not, you're Hyperledger has pluggable back.
0: consensus models, um, and it's it's interesting because one of them that they tout because I've been through a couple of Hyperledger presentations. They actually talk about on permission blockchains proof of work, which I just start laughing every time I see that. The idea it's, of
1: using proof of work in a private yeah. centralized system is <laughs> it's pretty like funny.
0: it's it's, it's ah. yeah really they they put it in there because they have to put it in there is why they know they know better but it's hilarious.
3: Well, y- y- you know that's not as crazy. As you'd think, really because okay. If, oh, uh, how if, uh, if a proof of work chain exists, it makes a lot of sense to reuse that in your own system, Yeah. You know, well, that's okay. It's like what I've done with my single UCL stuff, okay. Now, okay, you go I, I do proof of work for the chain, right? It's crazy, I yeah. Agree. But you're you know, saying utilize a, a separate
0: consensus crazy. model. Well, no, like no, entropy I'm, or pretty,
1: or? I'm pretty sure the pluggable consensus Mike Casey was talking about was. Proof of work. Yeah, like so, like we're they, actually they were, talking about servers in the same company crunching. Well, so so what's asinine
0: shit. about that is not just that, that the hackers you know, can't
1: come in and write data. Well,
0: no, it's 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 the, what's asinine about that is literally if you're dealing with semi-trusted parties and a permission ledger, and and your your only recourse is to trust this proof of work chain. All somebody has to do is go out and buy a bunch of shit <laughs> that can outpace you. And then they could 51% attack the network, which is just stupid. I don't know. This well, is I funny. Mean, like,
3: like I say, this is why leveraging another chain as an add-on to essentially prove things about the state of your consensus. Makes like like sense. merge mining, like anchoring is what you're saying. Uh, a- anchoring is kind of a better term there. Yeah. Anchoring gets abused in so many ways. Like it- It's not a term that has a clear text.
0: How, how would you define anchoring? Because, yeah, that's a good Whoa, point. Wait, wait,
1: sorry. How did you define anchoring first, Mike?
0: Oh, I, I would say. No, it's uh, just a timestamp. Yeah. It's, it's, like it's, well, yeah. It's, it's a timestamp of a, uh, uh, of a known, known state, a hash of a known state of something.
3: Well, what else would it be a timestamp of? <laughs> well, 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 that's it. I mean, anchoring Ooh. is insufficient to, um, you know, protect these systems. like, in fact, I, I would prefer that the term anchoring referred to something that also included, uh, essentially double spend protection.
2: Oh, really? That would be, um, that's a much bigger thing, of course. Yeah. I think I feel the opposite way. I feel like we should just say anchoring is a very simple thing that's not that and then some other new thing. Consensus would be the uh anchoring like, well, we already from a state or something. But well, we already
3: have a term for just time stamping. Time stamping.
2: Well, I mean, anchoring implies borrow the Anch- timestamp for someone else, though. Like you anchor it in Bitcoin. Yeah, time an- an- anchoring
0: implies that the timestamp is enforced by something else. You know, it's 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 anchored in the work of a proof of work blockchain. I, I mean,
3: I, I, th- I think that's all silly. It's timestamping. Just call it timestamping. Okay. I time well, I mean, that's with Bitcoin.
0: Well, that's a uh, uh, you know. Uh, uh, God, what is the word? I don't know. Oh, I, I but love
1: but it. I do know like... Uh, semantics.
0: It's a semantic argument. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. I don't uh, know. Semantics like, matter though. Like, well, it's true. I, 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 I,
3: keep in mind. Like, I, I come from art school where I found finding good terminology and good ways of explaining stuff is really, really critical. You know, you need something that people don't trip over. You need something that gives people a right well, impression.
0: Then, you know, if you want to get if you want to you know, I, I, you argue about the semantics, I think it makes more sense to say that it is time stamped Yes but the timestamp is anchored in the proof of work. I mean, to me, that that kind of makes sense because what, what, what proves no, the timestamp? the timestamp is
3: secured by the proof of work.
0: Well, that works too. I mean, you could say it's secured or anchored. In In, in my mind, the, both of those make sense. Yeah.
3: I mean, either well, one. Well, like I say, anchor is a good term for something that gives you double spin protection. And the reason is simple, which is that an anchor, you know, in, a, in physical metaphors, is a thing that keeps you in one place. You know, it prevents you from moving, prevents, you know, things from getting changed, which is subtly different than what timestamping does. Timestamping simply shows that something was from a, you know, some points in the past, but doesn't say how many other things just like it could exist. Well,
0: that's true. That's you, but, you,
1: you know what? Hey, r- real quick. Oh, sorry.
0: Well, I was just going to say when it. when I when I do my visualization of anchoring in a blockchain, I'm just thinking of one block stacked on another, stacked on another, stacked on another. When you have your timestamp, you have your anchor. You throw the anchor in between the two blocks, and it gets it stocked, on, stacked on top of it, and then the anchor stays there forever. And then the problem you stack- is that
3: it's not actually how the crypto ends up working. The problem is the anchor isn't bi-directional. Like, your timestamp isn't a bidirectional proof. Of course not. It's also a proof that can be replicated many times over. Yeah.
0: So, so okay. So, let's get into the, the differences. Uh, all right. Oh, you had something to say, Mark?
1: Well, I mean, I, I, I want to jump in and say, like, uh, what is our definition of timestamp? Because, like, to me, is timestamp the action of timestamping? Like, you point. know, with, like, a date and a time? Or is it an actual like it can be a noun where it's like this is a timestamp and it it it's like self it, it's like it can be by itself and still be a timestamp or is it more of a verb well, or no, you have to timestamp something
2: That's ridiculous like a saw is a saw of a noun and a verb it doesn't matter Well no no, no no I it might not matter to competing. you Paul This is going to be definitely But does it matter boring, to Peter? cuz to podcast me award. <laughs> 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 No but to me like to me. Why don't we just talk? Let's just talk. Let's do right now. Open time stands for Tyrion. All right. Let's do it. Let's do <laughs> it. Let's hear it. Let's Lord. hear it. Let's I'm hear sure,
1: Paul, sure. Here. <laughs> Paul, Paul, you're a... Uh, I apologize for making this the worst podcast let's go. in America. Let's do this. <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's also the worst it's podcast in Canada now. Token.
2: Why? We're, we're let's know. let's uh. What's, let me think in my brain if there are any differences. So so, so hold on hold time on.
0: Time okay. on okay let's let's just do this first. Okay Peter, can you please walk us through open timestamps?
2: Yeah yeah. I want to know more yeah.
1: about open timestamps. Then we'll jump into Tyrion versus open timestamps. Well,
3: so around 2012, um, you know, when I was still working uh, full time at uh, in geophysics and uh, studying Bitcoin, I realized that timestamping was really really easy to do in that the existing solutions all kind of sucked, and they were all centralized, and they were all expensive, you know, and you couldn't really trust them that well. And of course, like many other people noticed, Bitcoin was great at doing timestamping. But what was unique that I noticed was that you could easily make a timestamp-proof format that was extremely flexible, you know, so it would adapt to essentially any timestamp system. And however you made the timestamp, you could prove it with this format. So I built that and called it Open Timestamp, and then, you know, added um, Bitcoin support and so on. And I think, yeah you know, it must have been like 2013 or so or 2014. And, you know, did a bunch of work on that. But, you know, I had more pressing things to go work on. But, you know, even back then, it, it did actually, you know, have pretty much the same functionality as it does today. Um, some differences, the code wasn't as nice and so on. But, you know, essentially the, the main core of it was all working. And it would prove that, you know, your file existed before a certain point in time. But that—that's—that's
0: that's all it proves. It doesn't prove, you know, that something occurred at any point in time. Like you said, it's not a bidirectional anchor. It just—it just, it just well, exactly, drew, yeah. And, yeah.
3: And it's actually extremely difficult to make this bidirectionally. Right, exactly. That's a later. big problem. Yeah, it, it's, it's a lot less trivial than people think it is. And anyway, um, long story short is, I guess it would have be been about 2015. I had two clients who were interested in using it, and. And I essentially told them, hey, you know, I've got this open timestamps thing, and they liked the idea, and I wound up um, doing a quick rewrite of it, essentially, it acted as documentation so their own programmers could rewrite it, you know, and use it internally. And then, you know, yet another year, like early you know, 2016, you know, I was noticing things like Tyrion continuing to kind of develop and not actually work all that well, and I figured, you know what, I, I really need to go sit down and actually you know, rewrite open timestamps to make it into a production worthy project because I actually need this for my own projects for my client's project and, you know, no one's making this. So that's it is exactly a what idea. I did. And I have to, I always want to timestamp things
2: for one, one reason or another. And um, I've, I've really had a, a really much harder time than it should be. And I do all these weird other, like I have like my own like weird custom way of doing it, which I found worked the best but i was annoyed that no one would just like i just really think it should be as part of like bitcoin d or something where you can just click a little thing and it just timestamps something and it's just very simple i think it's a great idea as you say it's like it's easy to do as far as resource requirements and it's like useful so i don't know why it wasn't more useful. Well, well, it's very small
0: there, <laughs> yeah. but I mean, if you're talking about a, at scale, if you're timestamping a whole bunch of crap and storing it at a place, you probably need a slightly more robust system just to manage the stuff well, that's being timestamped so you don't lose uh, it.
3: That's, that's exactly what Open Timestamp did you know, all the way back in like, you know, 2013, which is it, you know, I had the infrastructure through you know, a centralized set of cal- um, calendars that you could you know, do timestamps for free. And all the world's timestamps would get timestamped with one single Bitcoin transaction. You get your proof back, and so on. So now, there's some technical details that you know, I think the current iteration it is much better. But essentially, that's the idea there. And you so, know, because timestamps scale,
2: so who they pays can be
3: essentially free.
0: So who pays for the transaction fees of the transaction that stores the Merkle root of all the timestamps?
3: I'm just paying it at a donation. Okay, and so... The, so The cost for
1: it's tiny. How okay. often do you timestamp then? I mean, if it's donation-based, I'm guessing you're not... You don't want to timestamp every block because that well, you'd cut through the funds faster. So are you doing it like once a day, once a week, or once every couple blocks?
3: It, it winds up being a couple times a day. Um, okay. Essentially, it targets a certain amount of money being spent per day. And if transaction fees are lower, it timestamps more often. If they're higher, it timestamps a little less often. I mean, yeah, the well, thing is, for
0: for a lot of use cases, that's perfectly adequate. I mean, you, if you just need a daily timestamp, then that's that's all you care about—is it happened somewhere around this day, right? So well, yeah, but the
3: thing is, like, Bitcoin lock times are kind of dubious anyway. Oh yeah,
0: you know, you well, can't trust there's a distribution minutes. for one and two. You know, they lie about their times.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, there's a lot of technical reasons why you can't get particularly good resolution with high high accuracy on Bitcoin. The other thing too is like nearly all timestamp applications. All like you know, all that matters is that you prove something was somewhere in the past. You know, to within like a month is usually good enough, because you're just trying to say, hey, this data that I now have suspicions about. Let's make sure that it's well in the past, not you know maybe the recent time when I think that data might have been changed.
0: Right, and it depends on the application, but I, I would agree. You know, most of the use cases don't require that level of resolution.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, so what, what does the calendar give you as far as OTS? What what does that like as far as granularity goes? How, how does that work?
3: Well, so the current um, version of Open Timestamps, the calendar is there is not there to provide granularity. It's there to make it, um, you know, to, to make the timestamping process um, <laughs> as close to instant as I can. And essentially, you can make a timestamp that you'll be able to verify indefinitely into the future in about a second. The way that works is a calendar is essentially taking every timestamp request in the world to it, aggregating one Merkle tree, and then staving the tip of that Merkle tree indefinitely. Yeah. You know, and at the end of that interval, it gives back every client, either directly or through, you know, a hierarchical, um, layered to the servers, if you know, if if need be, they're part of that proof. So essentially, they get a a path up that tree, which is sufficient to for them to show that their data was committed by that Merkle tip.
1: So how is that different than a uh, chain point, or is it, or these share very common like uh, aspects? Sounds very similar.
3: Yeah. Well well, 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 let me explain the second part of this, which is uh, sure that once you then, you know. Um, like like these Merkle tips, I call them commitments. And then the calendar is making a promise to do two things. One is eventually timestamp that, you know, in Bitcoin or whatever other chain. And two, make the timestamps of the commitments available indefinitely. And because that's you know trusted centralized system, yeah. The that's
0: I mean, yeah, calendar, if the process goes away. You you, you say the entire thing goes away, you still have to be able to verify old timestamps. Yeah, so you have to have a facility to do that.
3: Well, well, yeah, that's the thing. So half that data structure is sort of ephemeral, stored by the clients. And then the other half, which is actually, of course, a very small amount of data, the tiny amount, is kept permanently. And then the calendar is then also made available publicly from Murray. So you can get full copy of all the calendar data. And then we, on top of that, then have redundancy. So, you know, currently we have three different calendars, and I'm hoping to get that up to about five in the next uh,
1: two or three months. Are each one of those servers developing their own Merkle route, or do you have some kind of consensus or, you know, uh, aggregation between all three of those servers and then make like a master Merkle route that does a commit?
3: How does that work? So the interesting thing about timestamping is actually consensus makes it less reliable. Because you only need one server to successfully, you know, complete the task for the timestamp to be valid. Whereas any consensus system just can't tolerate, you know, as many servers fail. Well, you know, it needs a quorum.
1: I mean, yeah. re- I mean, regardless of, you know, servers failing, because, I mean, I work in a, a big data, you know, company where we have tons of services and, you know, we, we want consensus and, hey, you know, these three servers fail, we spin up three new ones and we constantly are monitoring that, so... Why is it, I, I don't really understand, like, like, uh, well, like it, to me, it sounds like you have each server doing their own anchor. I don't know if that was an acceptable term, but it, it has, like, its own peg to the blockchain. Well,
3: so the, the point is, each server is making the calendar data independently. Now, currently, they all do their own transactions, but that doesn't need to be true. You know, they can actually, um, you know, um, use each other's um, transactions. But I haven't bothered implementing that because, you know, I just don't spend enough money. I mean, that's
1: a I mean, but that's a isn't that a tough problem to have without consensus? I mean, that's 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 hard, right? It's
3: a lot easier, actually, if you don't need consensus, because you can deal with failures by just doing your own transaction.
1: I guess. I mean, so me coming from like a centralized. It's funny how I have to caveat that way on this podcast, but me coming from like a centralized, you know, big data background Consensus is everything, so or, you know, consensus is important. Why, uh, you know, between, like, uh, a bunch of servers and stuff, why why are you brushing it off so easily that, you know, consensus is important? I don't really understand that. I might not understand, like, where you're coming from on that.
3: Well, I mean, the answer is simple. Uh, For the use case of open timestamps, I don't need consensus across the calendar.
1: But isn't that more expensive? Because now every single server is doing their own timestamp instead of aggregating between all the servers.
3: But, but my point is that from I, I don't need client-side facing consensus now I can use very unreliable opportunistic consensus or you know opportunist cooperation for instance you can imagine one server being you know called the leader and everyone will just use it for timestamps and if they time out they just do their own so, hold on. Yeah, that's a very simple system.
0: One second. So, so, um, so let's just, uh, uh, so, so that's that's open timestamps as a platform. I, I think, Michael, you know the best about Tyrion. If you want to describe it as best you know, well, you know, and Peter we can, Todd we might can compare know, and contrast. I'll be
1: honest, you Peter know? Todd probably knows Tyrion better than me because I haven't actually used so, Tyrion since they've implemented their calendar so, system. So, so.
0: Well, how would you compare and contrast open timestamps to the the methodology of, of Tyrion, which is the, the biggest name I, I could arguably Stampery. right now Man, in, I, Hey,
1: Hold on. Actually, let's ask. Who is your biggest competitor, Peter? Is it Stampery? Is it Tyrion? Is it someone else that we don't know about, like Verity? I, I don't know. Like, uh, Maybe you can talk about that.
3: Guard I time, mean, it maybe? Depends, it depends I don't know a lot blockchain. on um, what user you're actually talking about. I mean... For many of the users of Open Timestamps, there are no competitors because all other systems are commercialized to some extent or the other.
0: Right. Okay. So I get I get the distinction of open source versus some sort of commercialized system. But my, my question is, Which, other than that, uh, what are the differences? Well, hold on
1: real quick before you finish. A lot of these things are also open source. They're like also the cost, corporate. The they're the corporate, but they're also open source.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, you have false, to, sorry, well, well, I mean, FOS. Sorry, FOSS versus wait, know, what's FOS? Free open source software, like as a methodology, versus like a commercialized thing, like Linux. You don't pay Linux anything. You know, it's like
1: well, okay, all right, all right. Anyways, so so in other words, I don't pay anybody anything to use Open Timestamp. It's always free forever.
3: Exactly.
1: Okay. You know. Okay. And, okay and that's and that's what he's talking
3: about. Timestamping is so cheap. That you know, I think I can go pull this off indefinitely in much the same way that let's encrypt works so,
1: uh, through through donations, right? So yeah. essentially, donations will be able to sustain the lifetime supply of timestamps if we're using like aggregation services like Open Timestamp.
3: Yeah, I mean, okay. The point is, this stuff's pretty cheap. I mean, I mean, essentially,
1: it's a Bitcoin transaction fee every so often,
0: right? It depends on the the resolution desired. I yeah, guess. I mean, if you're and if you're
1: trying to do timestamps every single block, then maybe and and block size doesn't increase, and we you know we keep like a lean mean Bitcoin machine, then maybe that isn't true. If you want like super granularity, well, but maybe like uh, once a day, it is true. Uh,
3: I mean, when you look at, for instance, the budget of something like Let's Encrypt, as open timestamps grows bigger. The point is, the amount of money available for donations goes up, and frankly, it would be a long time before transaction fees went up enough that the value of people's time volunteering for open timestamps was worth less than fees, plus I have a good solution to uh, get rid of fees entirely with um, uh, SecP256 commitments, which basically lets anyone who's already doing a Bitcoin transaction. Timestamp for us.
0: Oh, okay. So, like, it would be a voluntary checkbox that you throw into the client where they do that and says, oh, by the way, put in this operator. Pay an extra (laughs) 80 80 bytes. I've been um, talking to
3: some people who uh, already have reasons to do tons of Bitcoin transactions and You know, some of them at least are quite interested in helping us out there. That's actually an interesting concept. You're
1: crowdsourcing the... Yeah, I would
3: do
2: that. That I would check the box. Well, exactly. You check a
0: box, you pay a couple (laughs) extra cents and...
1: Well, (laughs) you'd pay like, let's say like right now with fees, maybe like 50 cents more a transaction, right? Because it'd be like 80 bytes more, right?
3: It's even better than this. There is no um, marginal increase in transaction size. Um, I mean, you're you're adding an an off return, right? Nope. No, the commitment oh, in C-256 uh, commitments is done in the signature. And oh, it's in the bonus.
0: signature, so it doesn't change yeah. the the size of the transact. That's very interesting. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, it costs costs user nothing. It's um, already written up an implementation. That's and, very interesting. Wow. Yeah, that's cool.
1: Is is uh? I think I think that's that's also what Tyrion moved to too, right? They they yeah. used to use OpReturn, return, but now they're using the signature or no. whatever no okay. no
3: actually apparently they uh, were um, trying to get a block stream to help them implement it but they uh, you know essentially couldn't figure out how to do the math so
1: <laughs> just the math was just too complicated they need vitalik
3: don't
0: they well is this something that's up and running now or is it something that's still a work in progress or what
3: uh basically there's a pull request uh, to the python um open timestamps library with working code from andrew Polstra and uh you know, I, I'm I'm planning on merging it once I go uh, do a second implementation in Rust. You know, essentially, I want to you know get some uh, peer review on it. But you know, we know the math behind this works; it's used for other stuff, so there's really no question what, that we. That's can do actually a pretty wait cool are we bridge. talking about
1: are we talking about including it in the signature data? Yeah. So so basically, but the it's signature not, so it's not live yet. Well, no, no. So it's not. so you are using op return right now.
3: Yeah, yeah. Right now we're using off the
1: It's
0: not
3: live yet. He's saying trade.
1: it's fully baked. Okay, he's, so it's not so, live, but fully baked. So, so Peter, if you pull this off successfully, I mean, everyone will just copy you because it's open
3: source,
2: <laughs> right? Of course. Yeah, they probably will. So, so I think that's his goal, right? <laughs> I mean, no, is no just I'm just saying, like, song of flattery. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, well like,
3: like, like the funny thing about you know this whole feud with Tyrion and all that silliness is. I spent a lot of time trying to go convince Tyrion to do exactly what Open Timestamp was doing, you know, because I didn't want to have to write it myself.
2: Yeah, it turned, but writing it yourself was the best way to convince them. Well, usually uh, it, it, is, it but seems
3: <laughs> to be. So,
2: so Peter Todd
1: made the best company, uh, the best time stamping service ever, Tyrion,
3: because he per, he, <laughs> well, he, he promoted. Uh, he, he, Tyrion uh, didn't do it very well. <laughs> Like he, he, the, he pushed Tyrion is, to is do your it right part of the ICO. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, P- Peter,
1: give us the give us the be <laughs> honest. They're, how much, how much TNT, TNT do you own, Peter? <laughs> be honest with us.
3: Yeah, none. Yeah. In fact, Tyrion. Uh, even though they uh, they said they would, they didn't even give credit in the chain point uh, documentation for the fact that you know copies is open timestamp model basically. So kind of annoying. Well, but, well uh, I don't
2: know a lot about that, but my understanding is that he uh, my guess is that he would say something like they've been working on it transparently for a while but you kind of like had didn't work out it until since 2014 but then you kind of worked on it secretly and tell someone or so like was, so oh, hold on i, say, mean, I wait, don't
0: i don't want okay. to get too far off skew because honestly if yeah. we're, we're gonna have this conversation we should we should have yeah. like wayne vaughn on we can yeah, well, yeah. Hold on,
1: hold on. we can interview wayne and his team after this so that can be next episode
2: I know it's uh, finally that getting that good. You be guys because, like it.
0: You let's want, let's just let's just talk, talk about let's let's, let's hear possible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> we're, we're
3: all, that's the plan. We can get back to some like hard tech, which is actually like what they've claimed um, in their ICO.
0: Yeah, uh, so so talk a little bit more about it. So I'm I'm a, I'm I'm kind of ignorant about the most recent advances in in the time stamping technology. So what what tech did they claim?
3: Well, so there's really one one major claim, you know, or really there like, are so two major claims, I think, that are rather problematic, which is that, and the biggest one is that they've claimed that they can make a timestamp instantly.
1: you know what, Peter, we had a, we had a, I was talking to you on Twitter publicly, and you're saying, did you care about the latency, or did the latency bother you, or whatever? And I said. What what are you talking about? It re, the API responded like immediately, and yes, then yes, you exactly, yeah. and then you were like, I think what you're trying to say was what I got back from the API request wasn't anything like what you would consider an actual timestamp.
3: Exactly. Yeah. You yeah. Know, and it's actually a very simple thing, which is that you know, and I mean, here I'll give you a quote from the Tyrion Token Sale white paper. Oh, here we here the we go. Chain Point responds immediately when a hash is submitted. Um, Then also like Zaki uh, Manian. Which
1: which me being so stupid as a stupid developer myself, I would agree with that.
3: Yes. And that's a real problem because (laughs) you would get a very wrong impression. and You would find that you couldn't necessarily validate what you got back.
1: No, but I wouldn't want to validate it until it can actually be written in the Bitcoin blockchain. I can give a shit less what the mousetrap is before that.
3: Well, well, so this is a problem. I mean... And, and you know, and I'll give an example where this actually really matters, which is, you know, let's look at say how um, let's look at say open timestamps is uh, git integration. So with open timestamps right now, and actually this has been working for nearly a year now, you can go timestamp git commands. So essentially when you sign a git commit, in addition to the signature open timestamps, then wrap or sorry. It, you know on top of the signature open time and puts a timestamp on the signature in the git commit which lets you go verify in particular that the signature is valid even in the future say after the key is revoked or something like that
1: okay what's in I'm just thinking like well, uh, I'm just thinking like we're, we're getting to like okay. the, the the slice of the of the circle of like men de- diagram of like people who actually, Care about timestamping, and then people who care about <laughs> this actually being like fraudulent. So like get I, I'd I like to.
2: Funny, no, no, I have a funny story about Open Timestamps. It's still true. I just checked. Wait, so, okay. Peter Todd, there's like a bug on your website. So I'm not sure what's going on. If I if I go to OpenTimestamps.org and I drag and drag and drop my document in, and then I get my OTS thing, and then if you try to check it, it it gives you another one that has the OTS appended twice. And this, I've only ever tried this on a Windows machine. I don't know. No,
1: means, I, I the same thing happens to me on Mac because I was looking at this yesterday. I, I, I yeah. figured it just hasn't been written to the Bitcoin
3: blockchain yet.
2: Well, see, that's what I was wondering about. So I have like a funny bug. See, because I actually don't know if used- yeah, that's a yeah, bug.
3: Yeah, that, yeah that, that wouldn't surprise me. I mean, but that's well, that's not a bug, we, is it?
1: That's just well, how your system works.
3: Well, so, so to be clear, so the, the way it should work is. You, you know click timestamp after you know opening up the file dialog and uploading your um, you know hashing your file and what it should then give you is a download dialog for a OTS proof and then when you go and go through that process again but this time click both the you know file dialog in the proof dialog and then hit verify that should go and verify the proof against the file now, if that doesn't quite work, I mean, let's face it, You know, I, I, I didn't go write that uh, code and, uh, you know. I think it doesn't work. I, I know it, it hasn't. But, uh, but yeah, but I think actually uh, you should fix it because probably
2: most people use the website. They, most people are not are not like us. Uh, they will only use the website and they will only use it in whatever it is. So I think just it, FYI, it's it like a very funny bug because it just, not it just only says... does it not work, but it then it gives you another thing. Like whatever .txt .ots, OTS. OTS. It, yeah. it's,
1: it, it says Definitely. for me failure pending or bad attestation or whatever pending. But so, see, the funny yeah, thing pending. is that I noticed because yeah.
2: yeah. I was preparing for this also so, so, so that Tyrion had like a public website too, but I think I couldn't find it, so I think they removed it.
3: it's the only
2: game in town if you have
3: a working website. So, so, so well, let, let me get back to my Git thing for a second. <laughs> which, <laughs> yeah, So so again, like. W- on that website, of course, you saw how quickly that happens. And yes. the, the key thing with Git is that you need to actually create a verifiable timestamp proof that will be verifiable in the future in a very short amount of time to make the user experience work. You know, because you want to be able to hit you know git commit and you want to have your commit made. And you don't want to have to go touch it again. And since the timestamp is in the git repo, you don't have an opportunity to change it later. In open timestamps can do this in about a second because of the calendar system. Yeah, that's what lets you get a a reference to it, you know, a persistent thing that should exist well off into the future, you know, indefinitely, and you should be able to verify your timestamp later due to that commitment in a calendar. So
0: I, I don't want to get too far off on a tangent, but I just I just wanted to ask because we were talking about uh, client side attestation of a timestamp uh, versus resolution, all that jazz. Um, so so I don't know if anybody here has read the uh, read about Google Spanner and, and the work that they've done as far as uh, reconciling different because this is kind of blockchain related too ish right not really but but what what it does is it it, it reconciles differences in timing of changes in database by gps timestamps in in data uh, centers so it, it has anybody else heard of this google spanner
3: yeah that's that's, a, that's not a um, you know uncommon technique there's, there's nothing uh, that novel about that oh you know, yeah I well, but,
0: well but. i mean the question is could you use a system like that where you have a certain degree of trusted, you know, uh, consensus as to the timestamp of something was created by a group that each geolocates data, whatever, in, in a, like a cloud environment where you could actually timestamp something accurately and well, then hash the, the timestamp? on an
3: open timestamp.
0: Oh, OK. Well, yeah. interesting. You want to tell us a little more about that?
3: Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that that one's just dead simple. Like that's just an example of a trusted entity that's signing a message saying, "Hey, I saw this, you know, digest at this point in time." You know, I mean, I've got a slightly novel take on it, which I'd like to use uh, something called disposable keys to, if everything works, make it impossible for that trusted entity to re-sign those messages at a later date because they've literally thrown away the key is associated with that particular time slot, but. Yeah, you know, there, there's nothing strictly novel there.
0: Yeah. know. Uh, uh, I was it, just wondering about, yeah, an integration of something like that. Yeah. yeah I, I realized, you know, it's, it's not like a ridiculously novel idea. And I, what they do yeah. with Spanner it, is actually much it, more it, than that. But yeah, because they do it. Yeah. Well,
3: again, Spanner has a consensus issue, right? Yeah. Open timestamps doesn't tap, you know, isn't trying to solve consensus. Huh. You know, and since we're not trying to solve consensus for that particular example, of trusted timestamping, again, just like the calendar system. I'll have you know, a set of completely independent trusted timestampers run by different entities that do not right. talk to each and
0: other. And so if you have a trusted timestamper, instead of relying on the resolution of the blockchain, you can take the, the trusted timestamper, which falls within the resolution of the blockchain, timestamp it and throw that in the proof, And then you know exactly when it was.
3: Yeah. in, in open timestamps designed to be able to represent proofs like that. Um, in particular... It's designed to be able to also timestamp that those signatures in Bitcoin, so that in the future you can go back and verify that the trusted timestamp was created or approximately when it claimed that it was created.
0: Right. So, so it fits within the the, the transaction window of when it would have been timestamped. So you can reasonably say it, it was then.
3: Well, well not, not so much the transaction window. More what you're what you want there is to go show that. For instance, if a trusted timestamper becomes untrusted in the future,
0: hmm, interesting. You know, maybe
3: the maybe it gets broken into or something, or produces some nonsense. Then you can go show that this trusted timestamp was created well prior to when we think the system became untrusted.
0: That's a good point. You
3: know, by having both disposable keys and also Bitcoin, we provide two very different mechanisms to ensure you know the timestamps remain valid.
1: God, I think. It, gosh, anyone who's listened this far, I, I'm, I'm thinking they're dozing off by now. But we're, oh we're God, talking dude, about we're talking I about I time live for shit like this. We're talking about time <laughs> stamping. You know, hey Peter, I'll be honest. I, I'm not following you on why. It seems like you're you're proud of the whoa, fact whoa. that, like, uh, wait, what? Oh no, it seems like you're you're proud of the fact that it's like, like we're not doing consensus. These, you know. My service can stand on its own, but isn't that like entirely less efficient? And like isn't the whole point you wanna like do like a global kind of time stamping resolution thing where it's like really cheap? You no, know, Peter is
2: just saying that his is robust to all this craziness that we have going on right now, where his is just something that works with Bitcoin, it just works. It's like Apple, you know? It just works. <laughs> yeah, but
1: I don't I don't I don't uh I mean so let me uh, let me ask this. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not really understanding why, why I'm not really understanding why you wouldn't want to like combine like all these you know Merkle roots and stuff together and and you know make one robust kind of I, I guess you would call it like a centralized system of of but, timestamping.
3: Do you, do you see my point though that for timestamping it can tolerate n minus one failures. Because right? you only need one of these calendars to actually go work you know, get your timestamp in Bitcoin for your timestamp proof to be valid. Whereas the moment you had a consensus system, consensus algorithms fail when they don't have a quorum.
1: Yes uh, exactly you know, so uh, to keep a minimum level, to keep a minimum amount reliable. of servers to keep a minimum amount of servers is is crucial just how it's it's crucial to keep a minimum amount of servers for what you're doing, which is one. I mean yeah, well, well,
3: that's I, mean, I, I mean, would agree like, one far is far the minimum amount so
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying like it doesn't matter because you know people spin up stuff in the cloud and they can run like 50 nodes it doesn't matter. Like,
3: it's it's not that simple though. We're,
1: well, we're if you're using parts. something like uh if you're using a tool like Mesosphere T, uh, Triton, Kubernetes then it actually com- becomes a lot easier though. I,
3: I I you know I I hate to push you on this but like I don't think you're thinking about the I'm threat, you know, threat model that I'm thinking about. You know, for uh, instance, I want the system to work even if the people running these calendars aren't cooperating with each other. You know, I want the system to go work when there's disputes about what the hell open did. But, you know?
1: but isn't that the whole like, point? We're using the Bitcoin blockchain, so it doesn't matter what is going on before that. Let's make the most efficient mousetrap before we peg yeah, to but, the trustless system. This is precisely my
3: point. In the client-side-facing architecture, we should go and have a system that tolerates that much failure and doesn't need that type of consensus. Now, at the same time, we can make the calendars more efficient by leveraging consensus on the back end. You know, and I'm sure that'll end up happening, right? But from the point of view of the user, they don't need to know this is happening. You know, the way Open Timestamps' uh, proof format works is if we choose to do that type of consensus, we can. You know, the proofs already support it. They don't need to know that actually we're all timestamping with one transaction. That's not relevant from the user's point uh, of view.
1: All right. So so I'll be honest. I wasn't able to do my mini hackathon last night and do OTS. Um, now, let me ask you, am, am I required to download the entire uh, blockchain to to use it? Or can I offload that to some something else? I, I wasn't very clear on that when I was looking at OTS.
3: Well, so the way the Python Open Timestamps client works is it expects you to either have a Bitcoin full node okay. or be able to go and query when you okay. trust.
1: Okay, so I wasn't able to do that last night. I, I apologize because I said I was going to look at OTS before this uh, interview or this episode. But uh, but essentially... Yeah, and the
3: point, point being, like that's yeah. basically just something I'd, I'd like to go do some more work on. I've got some ideas for how to do um, like clients. But you know that hasn't been the highest priority right now. And you can also verify that sure, time stamp Sure, manually.
1: but wouldn't you say that now, because of the system that you developed with OTS, you now have to have more of a smart client because, I mean, obviously, you know, you said N-1 failures. You're going to have to have your client be smart enough to switch or fail over to other servers that you have. I mean, isn't well, that kind of like an anti-pattern, or is that a pattern that I'm just not familiar
3: with? The, the code is actually dead simple, which is that when you make a timestamp, it's you know, and that's like literally what the Python code does. It makes multiple timestamp requests in parallel, and that has a timeout associated with whoa, that whoa, whoa, provided.
1: Whoa. Wait a minute. Wait, you just said something I did not know, understand. When I make a, when I use OTS, I'm hitting a couple servers or more than one. Yes. So that yeah, means yeah, by, I, def-
3: by default, three of them.
1: Okay, so that means when I use OTS. I am essentially making two pegs against or, or can we just call them anchors for simple for simplicity time stamps. Or, t- or make all right timestamps <laughs> sorry I come from a database background timestamp is nothing but a field and a as a field type in a database so I don't know if my Casey agrees with me, yeah no yeah,
3: well, I, I, I get that whatever. connotation it's I feel that <laughs> yeah, right,
1: yeah, anyways all right so <laughs> so so as far as timestamping goes I potentially am making two or I am making two timestamps against Bitcoin when I make one request to OTS. Is that true? Yes, exactly.
3: Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: So to me, that's like double redundant. Like you're, you're wasting a transaction fee, right? No, I'm not though. Oh, you're already making... All right, so you're making three... Okay, when, all right. So you know how you said like uh, every uh, six uh, hours or a couple of times a day, you're 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 pegging again or yes, you're timestamping? It's
2: a flat three transactions. So you're
1: making three yeah. transactions a day. Or whatever to to Bitcoin instead of just one transaction. Okay, it seems well, like to me that you could easily combine those Merkle roots into another Merkle root and then just but, save the money. But remember, uh, I, I'll, do. I, like I
3: explained, you can, but the client doesn't need to know that's happening. All right, and there's a subtle distinction. I can do, make that efficiency improvement without it being a part of the protocol. All right. So yes. If I run one of these calendars, it can ask its buddy, "Hey, could you timestamp this for me?" And if that other calendar successfully completes the timestamp in Bitcoin, it can then add that proof to its calendar. and return, it back to clients. Okay. The clients don't need to know that actually happened in the background.
1: Oh, of course not. Uh, they just need. Okay. So is would you just say like that's something that is going to be done with OTS later down the road, or?
3: I probably will. Although, okay. frankly, given that. Um, You know, it looks like we'll likely be able to do timestamps for free without paying a transaction fee, with SecP256 one commitments. That's probably the thing I'm going to work on first.
0: Yeah, because you then you could expect one in every block, essentially. Well, no, because he still
1: has to. I mean, it's still a fee. It's just less of a fee. No, right? no,
0: no, no. It's no, no. It's, it's somebody who's already doing. If you, oh, if you, you it mean like the box? Okay, okay. Somebody I see what who's you're already saying. doing yeah.
1: it mutates their yeah. signatures. Check the box. Like, yeah, yeah, check the check box. The box to, and it's free. It's, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, is there any it, money in, in this? this? Is there any money in time stamping?
3: Heck no. That's, I mean, that's precisely what my goal is. I think is that's, that's, is his that's his whole point. That's his whole There's no ability. money in this.
1: <laughs> so, Paul, you're just doing, or sorry, Peter, you're just doing volunteer work with OTS.
3: Yeah. I mean, like, to be clear, you know, I've been able to get people to <laughs> donate to this, you know, which ultimately ends up paying me. But, like, the amount of money we're talking to date like 10000 bucks. It's nothing. Okay. I mean, that's you very know, interesting. E- e- I'm doing this because I think the world should have timestamping that actually works.
2: You have, uh,
1: Paul, Mike, any more questions for Peter with OTS?
0: No, I think that was very enlightening in general. um, uh, the only question I think I have is, like, uh, how robust is your, your API? And, you know, is is it easy to take, like, a mass sum of, of timestampable documents?
1: Sure. Like, if I was going to hit your... I mean, obviously, it sounds like OTS couldn't handle, like, a million transactions per second. But what is your threshold, would you say?
3: Well, so timestamps are highly scalable, Right. And all I have to do to handle a million transactions per second by, say, a million different people is add more servers to it. Right. Because I can have a calendar server that maintains a calendar, but it doesn't need to be publicly facing. You know, you can put a layer of aggregation servers in front of it that both cache the calendar or services. Yeah. Like, it's mirrored. Like, if I wrote a
1: service for OTS and I aggregated 10,000 transactions and made my own Merkle route and then send it to, OTS as one transaction, is that what you're saying? Yeah,
3: that's exactly it. Okay. Yeah. And frankly, this isn't too much work. I mean I'll get we'll get around to writing that one of these weekends. Especially now that uh you know Chainpoint's making some uh, rather inaccurate claims about this stuff. But yeah, you know, it's it's proven technology. It's we know it can be done. Can
0: can you just yeah, just, just go into detail about the inaccuracy of the claims by sure, chainpoint, sure. if you could?
3: Yeah, well we kind of got sidetracked when I was talking about latency, but um, so so again remember my example of a git commit. So with open timestamps, because the calendar is about one second, we can create a timestamp proof they'll be able to verify later, you know, about a second. Now, the claim that they've made is that A, chainpoint responds immediately, you know, in like a matter of milliseconds. And B, um, Zaki specifically made the claim that I get the exact quote. And, and know, all open the timestamps, you know, is essentially quite low and very high latency.
1: When you say one second, are you saying you can respond and say, hey, it's on the internal calendar within one second? Is that what you're essentially saying? Exactly. Okay. So yeah. why yeah, do because I... Because the
3: interval between commitments on the calendar, uh, the number I've chosen right now is one second.
1: But, but why do I care? Like, why should I care about your internal calendar? Because I essentially have to trust that, trust you... If, for that calendar, what I really care about is when that's written to the Bitcoin blockchain, right? Or why why is that precision matter, I guess, uh, before it's written to well, the Bitcoin blockchain?
3: That's the what point I point being is that because this is a public data structure that anyone can mirror and anyone can, you know, timestamp themselves, you have the ability to go audit the fact that these time you know calendars are actually doing their job. So 99.99% of the time, you can just trust them to go do it. You know, and then you don't need to, for instance, update your own timestamp groups. You know, in the case of something like a git commit, that's really important. So and right the other arg-
1: Oh I was gonna say right now I can set up a uh I can I can on my computer I can mirror your calendar or do I have to be part okay. of your network? How does that work? No, you can mirror it. Okay, I and mean, then literally
3: it is available as part of a server through HTTP, and you can just download the whole thing.
1: Okay, and then as soon as I make a commit to OTS, I can look on my calendar service that I'm mirroring to make sure that it's actually part of it and exactly. when that so it's it's it, i can i can trust the essentially the ots calendar i mean you, granted you don't necessarily have to write it to the blockchain but when it is i don't know i i guess i'm struggling to see like i mean i don't know it's 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 essentially a trust well, well,
3: it's a, like a trust network and then when yeah, i write to the bitcoin I mean, blockchain th- it doesn't I th- I think really matter but too com- 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 complex maybe like for- remember like a lot of the use cases for this stuff is I am not convincing myself that I time stamp something I'm trying to convince someone else. So I want I, to be able to yeah I know but now you're saying
1: them. now you're I saying that, that someone else can mirror that calendar and then trust it as well too right
3: yeah I think you're using the word trust weird here okay like, maybe all I'm saying is that because this is public infrastructure it's very easy for people to observe that it's working verify that. And if it stops working for any reason, go timestamp it themselves, you know, to make sure that these commitments actually get timestamped.
0: But I mean what do what do you mean by by, I'm sorry, define working because working is in producing accurate
3: timestamps because even working I- as in producing timestamp proofs verifiable back to Bitcoin. Right. In the future accurate timestamps too, but you know what okay. like my so, git so- commit example, I want that commitment in the git commit. To get timestamped Bitcoin you know, in a reasonable amount of time, and I want to be able to get that proof so I can later verify it and later convince other people. So like, it's a public data structure; so get, anyone can verify
0: that. Gets, a, gets an interesting example because Git commits could come in one right after another, like immediately. You could, exactly. you, yeah. So, so how do you determine? I mean, because we're back to the basic transaction ordering problem that that uh, you know Bitcoin kind of solves through through well, consensus. I
3: mean, this is a very complex question to answer actually because there isn't um there isn't a good way to do to make that transaction or ordering proof that you want what open timestamps promises is simply that it will show that your git commit existed before a point in time
0: right exactly and that's
3: actually all that's feasible to go do
0: okay yeah, that's an important point though i mean and i and I agree with you that is all that's feasible to do but it doesn't help you when your the resolution of your git commits is exceeds uh, the ability to to properly timestamp them because you you still don't um, know which one came first.
3: But, but, but hang on, but remember, the timestamp proof is simply showing that your git commit was made in the past. All right, why, why are you then, like, What is the, what are you trying to do to go show that, say, one came before the other? Well, I mean, you know. In git, git itself.
0: I, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just saying if that scenario came up, uh, then this would not be an applicable resolution for that.
3: Well, I, I mean, my, my, my bigger point is that, you know, you A, you need to go come up with an actual rationale for that. And B, you're, you'll, what you'll find is that that resolution illusory because it's actually very difficult to create that type of proof. You actually need to embed commitments inside your data structures in irrevocable ways. Which,
0: which was what, why I, I kind of brought up Spanner just because it's kind of the same deal there yeah hold on real quick
3: hey, but, but but spanner oh, is cryptographic remember
0: well that's true it's not
3: you know spanner has a very different problem problem when you add cryptography to it and try to make cryptographic guarantees like i say this stuff gets very difficult
1: hey uh I mean, P- peter wouldn't you say that ots is just essentially making a trade-off where uh versus Tyrion, where because i was thinking about this you're, you're, essentially you're just making a, a trade-off because you're not using consensus and you're not making like a more... I want to say, to me, it's like a more efficient system. You you have the ability to timestamp more often versus like you're saying they're not really giving you a timestamp when they reply immediately but they timestamp um, less often through their internal calendar. They have, la- they have less precision on their internal calendar but to me, it's a trade-off. It's just like they have more efficiency of like scale to me. I, now now, scale is a weird word with timestamping because like obviously you can scale different ways like aggregating uh, Merkle Merkle roots and then setting them up, but I'm talking about as far as their flatline core service uh, it, To me, it's just a but, trade-off, right?
3: But but, but but, keep it like Keep in mind. Why does the user care about you know what they're paying? The difference is trivial either way You know, it's a bit more a bit less data and that Again, the big thing, though, you know, that I kind of want to get back to is they were making the claim that their system has lower latency. When in reality, they're not talking about the latency to get a verifiable proof.
1: They're talking about a response time to their API to for the Which initial uh hash ID or UUID or whatever.
0: Well it is right. an important but, distinction, but I mean both both are important because you, you yeah. want good
1: latency to an API. Yeah, you, I mean I mean I mean, you, you, you know? I mean to 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 res- I mean you don't want like an API service to take a long time. Uh you know, typically if you hit an API you want to, like almost like near immediate response typically now, for your use but, case, it sounds but, like you're but, bringing back more useful information when you actually do bring back information. And the, to me, that's just
3: a trade-off. point that what that API produces isn't actually useful, right? What you could have done instead is locally had a thread, you know, um, get these API requests, you know, at say 10, you know, 10 a second or something. And then do the somewhat higher latency with actual proof thing from open timestamps. Yeah, you know, I mean it's a trade off. What you actually need Peter, to do is go back.
1: Peter Peter, P- don't you understand this a is just a, this is just a trade-off. I mean, this isn't this isn't better. Your system isn't like like these this specific point of latency isn't better or worse. It's just a trade off because what they're doing is giving you uh, a pretty much some kind of receipt similar to what you're doing, but then you can get the the better proof later.
3: But but do you understand my point though? That I understand what you're saying. You they, give they, back they more. You're saying, claim, which is that their system has low latency. <laughs> yeah, but, but it has low latency that doesn't actually do it, anything.
0: It has like it. low latency for receipts, not proofs, is what you're saying. Well, which
1: is a fair. It has no, so it has low. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, right. Okay, low okay, latency okay, 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 okay. wait, hold on. Proofs. Is that what you would say, Peter? They have low latency for receipts, but higher latency for proofs. Right.
3: And receipts are useless. Okay. The only thing you do with a receipt is go back. You know, at a later at time. time later to go get your actual proof. And you have to have a process in your system to do that. Exactly. Well, so to, to me, this, I, I this, used to, I did smacks, that for my
0: hackathons. Well, this, this smacks of, of Bitcoin actually, because it's, 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 it's TX broadcast versus commitment to a block. It's, you know, how quickly does it propagate as a broadcast transaction? You can actually see it on your client versus how quickly does it actually record in the blockchain? you know this it is, seems like the same thing to me you is, want you want low latency <laughs> on your broadcast
1: you want that you know it's like <laughs> peter, peter like no one care like you know it's funny if junsef listens to this podcast he's going to he's, 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 he's going to shitless he like junsef already <laughs> thinks timestamping is stupid and in like the fact that we're talking about latency of the proof versus latency of just the response for the receipt like no one no one gives a shit i don't think any, like I'm a, I'm a no, but I'm a developer, <laughs> and I was I was doing hackathons using Tiering because I didn't know about OTS, and and this didn't affect me at all because all I do was batch processes. I would have three queues: one for the receipts, one for the proofs, and one when it got put into the Bitcoin blockchain. I would just batch them. And to me, when I'm writing a system that's getting hit by IoT, because that was my use case. Um, where I'm getting thousands of, you know, whatever I'm, I'm hitting their API thousands of times per second. I'm batching all this shit. I'm not actually waiting one time per second, uh, you know, for for my response. So to me, it's just a trade off, Peter. I don't know why that's why that's like not but, but, like why you can't agree you, to that.
3: But but, but again, like. Do you get my point though that I get. they made a
1: trade-off. It's
3: a trade-off and they lied about what they did. Oh, no, no, I'm not talking about whether or not they right. lied or not. I'm just saying it's a trade-off. so, so I just I just want to do okay. so uh, so yeah, keep, keep in mind, like open timestamps is designed as a trade-off. I didn't pick ten seconds. Okay. I picked one okay. second because I Fair. did the math figured all right. All right the metadata. One second produces is, I think, acceptable to Mirror.
0: So I just want to get back to you. You said the claims. So so uh, are those all the claims that they made in their ICO that you contested, or are there
3: any more? Oh, yeah. They're
0: there, 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 um, important ones. They are more like the
3: NTP timestamping. <laughs> but you know the big thing with their ICO is they didn't actually make three many claims at all that you could concretely refute. Well,
1: no ICO
0: was,
3: ever does. I mean, <laughs> yeah, but, um, you know, uh, it,
1: Peter, we're not big ICO fans at Block Time. Uh, just
3: FYI. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I, I wanted to do a very solid job of refuting something that I could do a solid job of. You know, that was right. Undeniable. Right. I,
0: I just I just wondered if if you had any other ones that you wanted to talk about, just to give you uh you know good time to talk
3: about them. Sure. Or is
0: is that the, those are your main ones?
3: Well, uh, the NTP timestamping one's inter- interesting, which is that you know the way that they've written their documentation, and I think they're backpedaling on this a bit is they're making claims that they have a high accuracy component to their system. For instance, that the hash ID that they return has a time in it. And the way they talk about it using the word timestamp, of course, implies to users they can actually trust it.
0: There we go back in the
1: definition of a (laughs) timestamp. All right, right. for this podcast specifically, let's say timestamping means the verb, not the noun. Is that fair? Or am I Well, that's what it? Peter's definitely yeah, yeah, talking yeah, right. about. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we're not confused. So we're not confused. Let's talk about timestamping being the definition of verbing. Well, like he, he's saying he's something. saying
0: like a timestamp as of a date certain. Yeah. You know where okay. where you can trust it, right? Well, well I, I mean, think data timestamping the data definition
3: of a timestamp.
0: Okay, so the cryptographic yeah. timestamp is both
3: a noun and also a verb.
0: Right. It's a noun and a
1: verb, but you're saying a trusted well, timestamp. I think Peter's saying like you have to timestamp data for the for a timestamp to be a timestamp.
3: Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. my point is that the hash ID that they return is not linked to data in a way that's cryptographically secure. Whoa, you know, an attacker can create a fake hash ID that says any time they want. Can you that's can you go over problem. can you
1: go over a use case where this would be an issue, like some kind of man in the middle attack? is that where you're getting at, as far as like uh, but, a vulnerability?
3: Uh, but remember, timestamp proof. What you're doing is you're trying to convince someone else, you know, either someone entirely different or perhaps you at a much later date that something happened, you know, as of a certain point in time. All right, so it, it, you're not trying to convince yourself, you know. This is why, like, the man <laughs> in the middle of attack isn't actually all that relevant to this.
1: But Peter, I'm, so, I'm like, I'm sorry, but who? No one cares. I mean, the mousetrap. Before, like this calendar service that you or Tyrion has, or t- whoever else does a calendar service, it's really like how it gets pegged to the Bitcoin blockchain. That's the cool part, right? So,
3: right? But, or are you saying uh, that you would that you would potentially I, I think miss you're out? Misunderstanding this, I probably am. There is a subset of people who do care because they actually have these use cases.
1: Ah, they they know? need the high granularity uh, exactly. timestamp, and essentially, yeah. so so why even? peg against the Bitcoin blockchain at all? Or why well, well, is that necessary?
3: Well, like I explained prior, if you have an actual working high-resolution timestamp system, it makes a lot of sense to further timestamp those timestamps in Bitcoin to show that they were made prior to some attack event. Okay. Right. It provides a... Di- like, remember, timestamp proofs are additive. Right? Everyone shows that something is true And between, you know, multiple different proofs, you're just getting a better, you know, better protection against attacks and potentially better resolution if some of them have better resolution than others. You know, and by having multiple timestamp proofs, particularly, you know, this timestamping a timestamp proof, you are preventing, you know, different types of attacks that can go happen
1: okay uh well I'm about exhausted with timestamps uh, Mike I don't know about you
0: I yeah, I mean, I mean so honestly
1: I don't think we can go on to drive chains and do it justice this time around well honestly. I don't know Paul are you up for a drive chain deep dive
2: well I think that I agree that we really shouldn't do it I think we've already gone for like 90 minutes yeah so yeah. so Maybe next week. week next
0: week no guess
2: <laughs> so <laughs> I, I would like
0: to,
1: Peter thank you very very much for this this has been well let's 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 let Peter finish with anything yeah. else that he wants to talk about. Any last we do, comments? Because I do want to talk about he did make a tweet that I saw earlier about BTC1. I do. I did want to hit on that uh, quickly. Oh, Peter, can you give us... Oh, like
3: um, the BitPay thing. <laughs> yeah, can, yes, you, yes, can yes, you tell yes.
1: us about that? Because obviously, um, we're in Atlanta. We're right next to BitPay. This is close and dear to our heart. What Tell us what is going on. Why is everyone calling them a fraud? What What is going on here, Peter?
3: Well, I mean, what they did is they Gave instructions to their, um, you know, clients and users to go and to you know, with the instructions saying that they needed to do this to activate NCU Segwit. What they actually did was link to the BTC One repo, you know, and the um, you know forked two X um, software, without telling their users what would actually happen. Y- yeah, you know, like r- r- right there, like had some user downloaded that software blindly they could end up on a currency that they were not expecting you know at some point in the future when activate
1: but isn't that the isn't that just them fulfilling their agreement to the new york agreement i don't i don't get why this is why they're calling them fraudsters like as far as like this is what they're planning on doing anyways in november or whenever 2x is
3: going to be happening because you have to inform your users what you're doing so for you to not go mention that this software changes the consensus rules to a version of Bitcoin that, at best, is highly controversial. You know, that's ultimately putting well, your users. Unless hold that on, becomes a version on, of Bitcoin, hold on.
0: you're saying at best <laughs> by, highly controversial. You know, everything's everything could be considered highly controversial. I mean, so so the the biggest thing is it all goes back to the definition of what what you define Bitcoin as.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, well, I think it's important <laughs> to um, I think it's important to inform your users, but I think. Also, that probably most of the users like have no idea what's going on at all, all. Right. so I'm not sure how informative any of it would even really be. I mean, I, I agree that steps should be always be taken, but it's kind of a, a lost cause. Uh, I'm not sure how I feel
3: about it, really. I know everyone wants to help uh, well, BitPay, pay, but l- not, legally, I don't really know what they should do. Legally speaking, I mean, that puts them in an even worse position for them to not tell their users anything. When they know that their users aren't all that informed. Well, know? yeah, like, but I mean... If you install that software, you can end up losing a lot of money. You know? Well, I mean, not it's as simple as that. But,
1: but like, what, what happens... Okay, so obviously... Uh, I don't know if you know about our history of this show, but we used to have...
2: <laughs> Someone Our former
0: co-host was actually one of the BitPay employees so, that so implemented SegWit, which, which we
2: will, it's we will not the name. Show that was too interesting. Uh, to yeah, we, we, we will
1: we will <laughs> not and name was, this said person, but but essentially, um, it, to me, it's clear that you know if 2x actually takes over and has more hashing power, that will be the new Bitcoin, and then but core. Again, that's and then
0: a,
3: a big if. Okay okay, okay. 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 Then we yeah, agree yeah, to that agree we then, agree to that. So okay. so
0: well, would you would you say that if Bit, uh, Sigma 2x does in fact garner the majority of hash power, it would be Bitcoin? Then they're not frauds.
3: No, I'd say they're still frauds. <laughs> okay. well, <laughs> you know, No. 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 I, again, didn't, again, I didn't. I didn't ask, it, ask that, that. I didn't ask that. Let's, let's back question, up. Which is that they need to inform their users <laughs> what their software does. So <laughs> you, well, you know, it, and like it's important, even in that case where you. Agree that you know the new bitcoins, whatever. You're still gonna have another chain that's worth something. Well, yeah, but I you're mean, still I'm still having not, money lost from. Right.
0: Well, okay. So let us back up from from the fraud claim for a second. I, I would just like to ask you, point blank, uh, would would you personally consider if if it say garnered over a majority, say eighty percent of the hash rate, would you consider Segwit two X to be Bitcoin?
3: Hash rate has nothing to do with that. Okay. A- so Ooh. you would not. You see, would not. I see. Okay. I
1: personally think that the. I, I kind of agree with BitPay. Like, I'm not saying I'm a big BitPay fan, but it the chain with the most work on SHA-256 to me is Bitcoin at the moment, as I currently see Bitcoin.
0: And like I said, this all depends on your definition. And of a lot, lot of Bitcoin.
3: And There's a lot of cases where I think you would disagree. Well, but obviously, if the limit, got, oh, I agree. If, if, if the limit raised stuff. over $21 yeah, million. if somebody messes with the supply curve, yeah, definitely. If, if
1: someone messes with the issuance or some kind of weird difficulty i mean yeah I would, they, I would agree they make it so
0: anybody can nodes, spend like, any transaction or whatever yeah the, <laughs> <you know? laughs> it's like yeah there's lots of reasons <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um but yeah but but by and large if if you know i don't know my my opinion is if it if it follows the white paper of bitcoin as written and it uh uh Garners the majority hash rate, then I consider it to be Bitcoin. That's my my stance. The
3: white paper of Bitcoin does not have anywhere near enough detail to even describe Bitcoin, which makes it perfect for. Right, agree. (laughs) I
0: say anything that fits that definition, as loose as it is, because like if you change the supply curve, you're not conforming to the white paper. (laughs) You
3: know, white paper doesn't mention supply.
1: It doesn't mention uh, having a twenty-one million million cap. Cap that wasn't in the white paper. In the white paper. Oh, I, th- I didn't God, know that. I thought it was okay. Oh, that's interesting.
3: I thought it was bestowing
1: knowledge. Hmm, I forget;
0: yeah, it's the, been a long time since I read it.
3: The way that uh, currency is distributed from a technical perspective, there's a lot of completely valid choices out there. All right, that's let me true. let me ask Good you a point. question,
1: Peter. Is the one, in your opinion, obviously there's no right answer, maybe to this, but in your opinion, is the one megabyte limit of block size uh, th- does that define Bitcoin?
3: The exact number is less important than the fact that we're not raising it quickly. Okay. So let me ask you you this. Like 2x goes from a maximum, you know, one meg per block to approximately eight megs per block is what the combined total 2x and SegWit does. Correct. Like that's under many threat models. That's a pretty dangerous thing. Okay. And the plan for the 2x people is to repeat this again and not that long.
0: So, so yeah, it's a very
3: different philosophy of scaling.
0: Yeah, no, no, I, I understand. Yeah, because that that doesn't jibe with your philosophy of scaling. As I said before, you have one contingency that's about optimization. And that's not an optim optimizational approach. Um. So, so I, I have another question. Um,
3: I'm not sure optimization is really the right word for this. You know, lightning isn't an optimization. It's a fundamental change the way the scaling works.
0: Well, right. Okay. But, but I mean, if you're saying it's a fundamental change to the way that scaling works, then, I mean, it gets to the point of, okay, is that really Bitcoin then? Because it's a fundamental change.
3: I mean. But the important thing about Bitcoin is that, you know, the whole stuff, you are your own bank. It's decentralized peer-to-peer currency. That's what makes it different from other systems. You know, to have a system where it's increasingly harder to actually fulfill that role. I don't think is Bitcoin. I don't think many other people think it's Bitcoin.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, that's all, like, that's quite the concretely,
3: thing. the reason why this whole 2X thing even can be controversial is because tons of people run full nodes and will reject it.
0: Well, yes, you but know? I mean, any full node can reject anything from any blockchain and they just kick themselves off of the network. I mean, so so you can run a full but node. But the point
3: that- is, but you're, you're asking us the wrong way around. Think the opposite. If you don't have a full node, all you've got to go by is hashing power because you can't verify it.
0: You can yeah, you, know, you can't verify the individual transactions because you're trusting other nodes. Because you can have Well, an you're sp- trusting
3: miners ultimately. I mean, you can't trust other nodes because you don't know who they are.
0: Well, that's true. You can sample a population of them.
3: How do you know what the population is?
0: Well, how do you, how does your full node know what its population is? It's vulnerable to a civil attack just the same.
3: Point is though so Bitcoin's actually quite resistant to civil attacks. Bitcoin does very well against Sybil simple attack because of well, yeah,
0: works. as long as it sees one valid other node, then
3: it it, it can it can reconstruct well, the entire blockchain. And remember, you you said sampling, right? Sampling doesn't work in that threat model.
0: It's an interesting thing, yeah, because i've I've always I've often wondered how SPV fares versus a full node under a simple attack. So keep... well,
3: I mean the SPV does really badly. Um, I mean at least with a full node you can do things like verify that the transaction spending coins that are real. You know, SPV can't even do that. Right. And because it you know, and, and more, and more generally like you know, there's bigger issues there but you know where does bitcoin go in the future? You know, the whole whole reason why miners do roughly what we want them to do is because we buy their coins
1: knowing whether or not
0: they
2: go fulfill a protocol. Incentive. You know, incentive that incentive.
0: Down, well well, okay. I, I I agree. I agree that that the uh the, the user base does legitimize the mining power, but I honestly don't think that uh something I mean philosophic philosophical aside, is it, some, something as trivial as as the one megabyte uh cap on the base block size is something that would uh, violate the social contract that is Bitcoin enough to um, have them ditch the majority of hash power? Should it go to the other chain? Um,
3: hash power is just something that goes and works for us, you know. And again, like ultimately, that cap is a big part of why you can participate in Bitcoin. You know, without that cap, you would not be able to easily run a full node. Maybe you wouldn't be able to at all. So let let me
0: yeah. Well, I mean, this is arguable in the future because we we you know we we don't know either way honestly because we, we can't. I, I want to ask him so bad what right. he thinks about Ethereum. So later. so here's 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 my other question. So should should that happen? Say a majority of hash rate uh, goes to the uh, SegWit 2x fork, uh, would you then advocate under any circumstance? Uh, a proof of work change for
1: oh, absolutely. The, okay, so yeah, then we fact, were left I think with it's four bitcoins. <laughs> <doesn't, you laughs> <know>, to
3: <laughs> the extent they can concrete plants, but what would it be
1: called? Would it be yeah. called... I
3: don't think what you would, would you call, call it that, that? Well, right? well, this is where things I think get interesting socially. You know, I mean, I think there are mechanisms by which you could make a good claim. This this is what you know should be called Bitcoin. You know, you can do things like, for instance, show economic support by people signing with their coins and whatnot. You know, but even if it isn't called Bitcoin, again, you can still have a situation where miners wind up destroying the value of their expensive ASIC.
0: Well, I mean, if you look at at even Bitcoin Cash, I mean, it's been holding its own of recent. It's (laughs) only up like 100% in the last two days. So, I mean, they're not necessarily, anybody who mines the other chain isn't necessarily destroying their value because what's been proven is both sides of a fork (laughs) can increase. I mean, granted, it it dropped from the value
1: of Bitcoin at the time. I think it was like thirty five. I, I think 3, I think you have to have crazy down to um, three hundred. You have to have but, crazy people like it survived. You have to have like a Jihan Wu on the other side in order to have people maliciously well, the, mine or attack. The point attack.
0: is, the point is, it survived. It didn't die, so it could potentially therefore grow.
3: Like you mean, uh, like I, I, mean, I mean, keep keep in mind that with Bitcoin Cash, you know, you still got a relatively thin. In market so it's you know obviously it's possible people people could go sway this plus in general for difficulty it would actually be really surprising if bitcoin cash didn't end up being roughly as profitable as bitcoin for mining. it, it actually is the as of now
0: I, the difficulty is adjusted i well, think last i heard it's it's actually slightly more Yeah. what do
3: you it what it
1: do adjusts. you mean peter what do you mean slim markets for bitcoin cash
3: well i'm, I'm saying that the amount of people who've actually you know Got in position to sell their Bitcoin cash is still a relatively small percentage. I'm just looking. I'm just
1: looking at coin market cap. It's three billion. No, no. He's, he's talking, uh, about is he talking about places that accept Bitcoin cash. Ah, so that brings okay. up a very no, 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 no. Oh, no I'm not. I'm oh, talking you're talking about, about selling on exchange. You're like sell it. okay, selling
3: on yeah. Exchange, but right yes. now
1: the volume of Bitcoin cash is three billion dollars. Bitcoin is two point eight billion. So yeah, yeah, that's, but
3: that three billion is double counting. Remember, because that volume includes multiple trades. I'm talking about the volume of people, yeah, you know, the supply of people okay. who are actually in a position to sell their Bitcoin Cash. All right. Well,
0: isn't it the same as Bitcoin no. pre-fork? I mean, I mean, pretty uh, no. much. People
3: actually have to have the software. And, well, and that's, the true. that's true. That's true. That's true.
0: Because you have to have a wallet that's able to separate and distinguish between the yeah. two coins. Yeah, you're yeah.
3: correct. I mean, as an example, like uh, you know, okay. I've been contacted by people trying to figure out how they'll go sell their Bitcoin Cash. out of, for instance, you know, high security. Um, cold storage, you know, with very large amounts of money. But do they want to go risk that, you know, do they want to go risk that cold storage with software that, you know, is coming from potentially untrusted people? Yeah. That's the kind of question a lot of people
0: have. I actually had a rather interesting conversation and uh, and it was on our Bitcoin and there was a guy, The Flare, and he he actually made a very good point because he was talking, he was, they were speculating, somebody made a very, very large uh, Bitcoin transaction and it was speculation that it was a guy known as Loaded, who is like yeah. insanely rich. And uh, and he was saying that, oh, yeah, he's going to sell all his Bitcoin cash. And I said, well, you know, that doesn't make any sense. Why would it move on the BTC chain? And and he said, and this is a very good point. I will have this is a very good point. He said, well, yeah, if you, if you don't move it, then uh, you actually use the same. So say it's stored on a paper wallet or one private key. If you, you know, it does leave you vulnerable to a, a quantum attack. You know, uh, if if such a thing ever were to occur, if you leave it uh, because it it posts you, the public key, yeah, to I would blockchain say if you spend it, I, I from would say PCH. that's side. a good point. If you if you have, so, I
1: didn't even think about that. I mean, yeah, that's, me neither. That's, that's
0: I true. I didn't. If you if you, the, if you have a lot logically
3: of attack, is you making the keys vulnerable while right play.
0: exactly because oh. the the public key gets posted, which you would never yeah. want to do if you don't. Well, have to, no, no, right? it's
3: like, th- that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying the the secret keys in the process of. You know, getting new software in to go sign those transactions. Well, Peter, you, you, I mean, what well, I mean, I can just, I can, I can, I can just send, Bitcoin no, wallet, no, no, right? No, no, no.
1: I mean, I mean, obviously, yeah, I might lose my Bitcoin cash, but damn it, Mike, it shouldn't sit over here. All right, we can't trust you with anything. All right, anyways, uh, I mean, what, what I mean, yeah, I might be risking my Bitcoin cash, but I'm not risking my Bitcoin because I'll just send it to another like cold storage wallet or whatever. Uh,
3: it's not that simple though, because many systems, first of all, you know. Transitioning new cold storage is tricky because now you have to create new We're we're,
1: we're we're going over that at our next meetup, by the way, yeah, Peter. Well, I would yeah. I would love for you to come up to Atlanta. We're having a, a, like hundred and fifty people come out to learn how to make paper wallets at our next meetup, by the way. That's how many
0: of our. Yeah, I, I
3: really hope you remind people that paper wallets are often born compromised.
1: You
3: know. <laughs> the paper wallet is not the secure part that you should worry about. It's the computer that made it. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna be
1: making them offline so, with yeah. secure hardware. So, so what what's what, your
3: what type of secure hardware? We we're
1: going to we're going to we're going we're gonna to produce these private keys in a bunker, air-gapped <laughs> on on uh, on technology that's it, never hit the internet. It
0: honestly depends on your And then mind. we're going to burn
1: lot. and then we're going to go to Canada and burn the the computer <laughs> and then and then and then showcase it for Twitter to everyone to know. Wait, maybe I'm thinking of Zcash. Wait, hold on. What am I thinking of?
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's a perfect example. That entire process is frankly kind of dubious. You because know, there, there's a limit to like what you can actually do to you know protect this stuff. Well,
0: it depends on your level of paranoia. Which you know, you know, I would fully agree. If you want to be absolutely secure, you should be rolling dice in something that has everything stripped out. And there's you know can't possibly that, that, generate an EM like, signal. the whole point it's of
3: like <laughs> the rolling dice part is looking at it from completely the wrong angle. That's not actually your threat. Your threat remains the software.
0: Right. Well, yeah. And again,
3: this gets back to why selling your Bitcoin cash is hard for many people, because You know, they now have this risk of, for instance, screwing up the process of moving their existing Bitcoin. And if they don't do that, they have this other risk of that Bitcoin Cash software compromising their coins. So, and some of the Bitcoin Cash wallets have turned out to be theft.
1: By the way, Peter, I was very impressed with your hold on. That's
3: important. (laughs) Which which ones have turned out
0: to be theft? uh, That's that's kind of important for our audience. Well, there was a fake um, Electrum wallet.
3: Um, oh, okay yeah, there's one example
0: well are you talking about electron or yeah
3: because there's a fake in there's addition a, to electron there's also there a fake was a there was a different that version, version
0: that money. was malware that stole uh btc yeah. and bch based on i hadn't heard of that okay cool good to know Yeah.
1: all right guys uh paul i know you you've been really are, are you asleep over there paul Paul's gone. Paul's gone. Paul Paul <laughs> has left the building, even though he's talking to me on Telegram every once in a while. Um. Anyways, Peter, I I think you did great during this interview. Yeah, thank uh, you so much this, for joining this was, us. This was this was awesome to just chat with you for what an hour and forty minutes now. So
0: yeah, if you're ever in Atlanta, let us know. We'll go have a beer
1: <laughs> or cider <Definitely>. or whatever. <laughs> you know, Atlanta's a hub. You know, we have conferences down here. No, and, and every once in a while, it snows, so you'll feel right at home.
0: <laughs> but well, again, I'll make it down. Our special guest, Peter Todd, thank you much.
1: Thank you for coming on, Peter. And uh, Peter, if you want to give a shout out, where can people find out more information about you? You know, it's funny. Anyone who knows about you probably already knows about you. They're not learning it's about true. you for the first time. But just in case, where can people find well, out more
3: information about you? I mean, it's hard to find information about me, but you can find stuff I've like written on uh, PeterTodd.org, my website.
1: Okay. And uh, your
3: Twitter handle? Yeah, at, at uh, bgc Okay.
0: Well, thanks again, Peter.
3: Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, man, it's been a pleasure.
1: Mike, All right. with that, I think the nonce has been found. And our blogs have been timestamped. Thanks for propagating, everybody. Bye.